This is an interview with Catherine Austin Fitz. Full interview, Planet Lockdown, by Sunshine. It was uploaded on YouTube December 29th, 2020. My name is Catherine Austin Fitz. I'm the publisher of the Solari Report and managing director of Solari Investment Advisory Services. And um, what do you think is happening economically as a result of all this? So uh, what is happening, I just published a huge study called The State of Our Serve, uh, Currencies. And what I describe is the fact that for many decades, the dollar has been the reserve currency. And uh, the system is what I would describe as long in the tooth. And the central bankers are trying to bring in a new system, but it's not ready to go yet. And what we're, what we're in a period of great change and uncertainty where the central bankers are trying to keep the dollar system going and accelerate. So they're trying to lengthen the dollar system and then they're trying to accelerate bringing in the new system. And they have to bring in the new system without anybody quite realizing exactly what it is. So we've had a global reserve currency system, the dollar, and it needs to evolve and change. And it's long in the tooth. There's lots of unhappiness with the system. And the central bankers are trying to bring a new system. And to do it, they're trying to extend the old and accelerate the new. And it makes it a very chaotic thing since much of the new is being tested and tried and prototyped and it involves many different industries. So uh, I describe the new system as the end of currencies. So it's we're not bringing in a new currency. We're essentially bringing in a new transaction system that will be all digital and essentially end currencies as we know them. So what they're trying to do is involves essentially all the money on the planet. So it's big, it's complicated, it's messy. Um, and the challenge they have is how do you market a system that if people understood it, nobody would want. And of course, <laughs> the way you do that is with a healthcare crisis. And why is the healthcare crisis good for that? Because generally, if, if a few people want to control the many, the question is how can you you know, how can you herd all the sheep into the slaughterhouse without them realizing and resisting? So uh, the perfect thing is invisible enemies. So we had the war on terrorism, you know, with invisible terrorists. And then, then now a virus is perfect because it's invisible. You can't prove that it doesn't exist because it's visible, invisible. So invisible enemies are always the preferred one, particularly if they scare people. If you can use fear and introduce significant fear, then people will need government to protect them from the invisible enemy. Then the second tactic, which is very effective, is divide and conquer. And so in the meantime, if you can use the media, the media plays a very important role. If you can turn men and women against each other and black and white against each other, and one of the reasons you import a lot of immigrants into, uh, into Europe is turn the general population against the immigrants, and then you need government to be in the middle and you know, so, so these are all, whether it's divide and tactic or invisible enemies, these are all ways to institute fear and get people to go along with things. And of course, the invisible virus allows you to do enormous control mechanisms. You can stop people from gathering, you can stop people from organizing, you can stop people from getting together, 
and talking about what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And if you digitize it with contract tracing, then you can control who's talking to whom. If you can get them to do all their work and education online, you can literally listen to everything they're saying. So you can, you can institute extraordinary amounts of surveillance all in the, you know, the theory that we're protecting you from the invisible virus. It's very clever. You know, and as you can see, it's working in with many people, not everybody, but many people. So to me, a lot and, and I don't I don't want to us, uh, underestimate the ability of the leadership to introduce pathogens that will kill people. And I don't want to suggest that people aren't getting sick. But um, essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to buy into a solution before they see where it's ultimately going to go. Because you're talking about a transaction system that is no longer a currency, it's a control system. So it's like a credit at the company store. If every central bank comes out with a digital central bank currency, they have the ability to turn your money on and off. So if you don't behave, that's it. And of course, as we know, they want to combine this with transhumanism, which means literally you know, I take injections that can institute an, the equivalent of an operating system in my body. And so I'm hooked up to the financial system literally physically. To step back to the beginning a little bit, a little one sure. is um, what is the actual effect of the lockdown measures? So what you're doing is you're trying to, I used to call the Patriot Act the Concentration and Control of Cash Flow Act. And this is a very similar process. You're trying to dramatically centralize economic and political control. So let me give you an example. We have 100 small businesses on Main Street in a community. You declare them non-essential, shut them down. Suddenly Amazon and Walmart and the big box stores can come in and take away all the market share. In the meantime, the people on Main Street have to keep paying off their credit cards or their mortgage. So they're in a debt entrapment. Um, and they're desperate to get cash flow to cover basically their debts and their day-to-day -day expenses. In the meantime, you have the Federal Reserve institute a form of quantitative easing where they're buying corporate bonds and the, and the guys who are taking up the market share can basically finance at you know, 0 to 1% or the, their banks can at 0 to 1% when everybody in Main Street is paying 16 to 70% of their credit cards without income. So basically, now you've got them over a barrel and you can take away their market share. And generally, they can't afford to do what they say because they're too busy trying to find money to feed their kids. In the 2016 election cycle, we saw the general population support candidates who represented populism in a variety of different ways. So Bernie Sanders was a populist relative to the other candidates. Donald Trump was a populist relative to the other candidates. And literally what the sort of global capital class realized was they had a problem that, that, you know, that could be solved by destroying the independent income of small business and, and sole practitioners and people who had independent forms of income. So if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a CPA and you have your own practice, you are generally going to you are going to support the populist candidates. And so the way to shut the populist candidates down is to shut off their income and support, which is you put Main Street out of business, and then there's nobody to finance a Bernie Sanders or a Donald Trump. There's nobody to support him. Uh -huh. So, I mean, do, do those, the lockdown measures appear to you to be, it's, 
more of an economic thing than a virus mitigation plan? So this is an economic war. And um, you've basically had sort of the top 1%. So since April, we've seen um, global billionaires increase their net worth by 27%. Now, what, that's, what that says is this has been a very successful <laughs> global economic war because what you're having is this sort of global capitalist class. And I, I shouldn't call it capitalism because it's not. It's much more total, It's economic totalitarianism. What you've seen is they've been able to consolidate fantastic amounts of economic wealth, not just by deleting the income of the middle class and consolidating it into their companies, but by significantly improving the wealth and power of the largest G7 developed countries and China vis-a-vis the emerging markets. So, um, you know, the, the... the countries with the most advanced technology and the access to AI and software and to the sort of digital systems, including through space, are dramatically consolidating economic power vis-a-vis the weaker nations. So we're seeing a consolidation of economic power centralization, both into the, the wealthier and the more powerful nations um, and, and the, the basically top 1% who control them. So I would describe the, you know, the what COVID nineteen is, is a the institution of controls necessary to convert the planet from democratic process to technocracy. So what we're watching is a change in control, and an engineering of new control systems. So think of this as a coup d'état. It's much more like a coup d'état um, than a virus. <laughs> So uh, for 20-some years in the United States, we've had a financial coup d'etat. And we knew at the end of 1995, a decision was made to move much of the assets and money out of the country. That was part of of sort of bubbling the global economy with globalization. And they knew that once they'd finished moving all those assets, that they would have to consolidate and change the, the fundamental system. So after the financial coup, you, you've stolen all the money in the pension funds, you've stolen all the money in the government, and now rather than turn and tell people, well, we stole your money, you need an excuse that will allow you to consolidate and change the fundamental system, and so you have a magic virus. <laughs> and the magic virus is, oh, you know, we have to fundamentally change the system. And, you know, thanks to the magic virus, there's no money in Social Security. Thanks to the magic virus, there's no money in the Treasury. You know, and you have your perfect magic excuse. Everything can be blamed on the virus. Yeah, yeah, the magic virus can, you know, it's amazing because because every implication of the financial coup has been magically solved by the magic virus. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. quite, if you're a financial person and you look at the world through the mathematics of time and money, it's quite amazing that anybody believes it, but they do. Yeah, yeah right. Right. It's part, it's part of joining the, you know, what C.J. Hopkins calls the Covidian cult. You join the cult and you say, oh, yeah, 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 well, the magic virus took all the money from Social Security. Yeah. Magic virus caused our pension funds to, you know, not be sufficient. Blah, 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 blah. So um, what do you think the technocracy they were being pushed towards is, look like? So technocracy, the technocracy that they're pushing towards is what is called transhumanism. So essentially what you do is you use injections to inject materials into the body that create the equivalent of an operating system. So everybody knows 
the idea of Microsoft causing you to download an operating system in your computer that gives Microsoft and a variety of other players a backdoor into your computer. And, and every month or two or three, you've got to update it because they're viruses, right? It's back to the magic virus that can solve all problems. And so, so this is a similar system for your body. You inject materials into your body that essentially create the equivalent of an operating system and a receiver, and you can literally hook everybody up to the cloud. And that includes hooking them up in a way that their transaction system, you know, the Bible calls it the mark of the beast is one way people know this up. But you're, you're basically talking about being able to digitally identify and track people in connection with their financial transactions. So it's a world of zero, um, zero privacy. But more importantly, what's important to understand is you're, if, you, if you then institute one or more central bank cryptos, you're now talking about a system where every central bank in the world can shut you off individually from transacting if they don't like the way you're behaving. So many people are familiar with the social credit system in China. It's very similar. You're, you're basically, if you, if you install the smart grid in their car, their community, and now in their, literally in their body, you've got 24-7 surveillance. And if people don't do what you say and behave the way you want, uh, you know, they can and, and, and will shut off your money. So, and, and they'll also have spatial control. If they say you can't travel more than five miles, that's it, you, you know, because you're, you're in a complete digital control system and it's controlled by the central bankers to do the money. We're digitizing everything, but it includes the human body as well and the human mind. So this system comes with complete control, not only of your ability to transact financially, which is hooked up to your body, but uh, very sophisticated mind control technology through the media and those cloud connections. So, so basically you're talking about hooking up into the Borg, if you will. And, um, and so transhumanism and technocracy go hand in hand. Now, I would describe this as a slavery system. So we're talking about shifting out of freedom where we have freedom to roam and freedom to say what we want into a complete control system 24-7, including mind control. Now, the challenge before us is if the you know, sort of the committee that runs the world, my nickname being Mr. Global. If Mr. Global wants to go to a slavery system and we want to remain a human civilization, then we have a fundamental disagreement, and that is the disagreement before us. And um, we get to the, uh, uh -huh. the diagrams here. <laughs> okay. So if you look at what's going on, we have the tech people building the, the clouds and the telecommunications. We have the military doing space and operation warp speed. So they're putting up the satellites, okay? Then we have Big Pharma, which is making the injections that are full of these mystery ingredients and change, modify your DNA, and for all we know, make you infertile. Um, and then we have the media pouring out the propaganda. And then we have the central bankers engineering the to to the crypto the central bank crypto systems so you have these different pillars and it's very important when you look at what's going on day to day particularly in the media they're trying to keep them separate so that you can't see how they're going to come together 
in an integrated system, which is basically integrated into your body and your mind. For what purpose? To, to institute the slavery system. So in other words, if I am going to do everything through a smart grid, and I need to run the smart grid into your neighborhood, and then I need to run the smart grid into your body, the question is, how am I going to build it out in your neighborhood and build it out in your body without you seeing the trap? Right? So... So that's why you try and keep these different lines separate. So if you listen to the central bankers, they try as hard as they can to stay away from these conversations. So it was interesting. I was watching an IMF presentation on cross-border payments and the Federal Reserve chairman, uh, the, the head of the IMF mentioned the digital uh, global ID system. And you would have <laughs> the federal chairman the Federal Reserve Chairman almost blanched, and you could energetically feel him moving like a galaxy away. He's like, no, 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 because, you know, they're, they're more, they're 325 million Americans, and they're more than 325 million guns, and he doesn't want everybody to see this until the trap is thrown. It's too late. Have we been put in a trap this year? Yes. Right, <laughs> but the door hasn't shut. So that's why the reason we're talking is because transparency can blow the game. It's interesting because in, um, in the beginning of the year when I wrote the article Injection Fraud and said Bill Gates is trying to download an operating system in your body just the way you download it in your mind and use virus as an excuse to have to update it, you know, to, to make it work for his back door every day. Three months later, and then, and then Corbett did a great series on Gates, and several people came out and sort of reaffirmed this. And um, uh, it was in the fall, Yahoo Finance did a poll, uh, published a poll saying that 44% of Republicans thought Bill Gates wanted to chip them. And I said, okay, we're making progress. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and that's exactly when Gates sort of disappeared and they brought out Operation Warp Speed because they needed... Um, and interestingly enough, the person they chose to lose, run Operation Warp Speed was an expert on uh, injectable brain-machine interface. He used to head research at GlaxoSmithKline, and, and he's a brain-machine interface expert. It's a creepy resume for that job, huh? It's a perfect resume for that job. You know, here's one of the most important developments that happened in 2019, in addition to the um, to the approval of the going direct plan by the central bankers in Jackson Hole, was the issuance uh, by the Department of Defense of the Jedi Cloud contract to Microsoft. So you had Amazon receive, Amazon is essentially a CIA and intelligence agency contractor. They started generating profit when they entered into major contracts with the CIA to provide the clouds not only for the CIA, but all 17 U.S. intelligence agencies through that umbrella cloud contract. So you now have Amazon running the intelligence agency's contract. This year, Latos did a big contract, or at the end of 2019, Latos did a big contract with the, um, with the Navy, and then DOD did the Jedi contract. And so those three huge cloud contracts give you the ability, once you get everybody hooked up into them, to radically re-engineer how, um, how the cash flows work. So you can literally shut down all small business 
uh, or almost all small business, put everybody on a universal basic income, which is basically a control system, and run it all through the through the military clouds. So you can you can see the the direction we're headed, but it's a little uncertain as to as to why or. No, it's it's simple. Um, technology gives you the ability to institute a complete control system and further centralize economic and political control. So I'll give you a perfect example. The reason the African-American slave trade ended, there were two reasons in my opinion. One is you couldn't perfect collateral. So the banks in London kept losing money because the plantation owners, when the commodities market went down, would sell their slaves west, and the banks couldn't go get their collateral. So they would finance the purchase of a slave at, say, 50% loan-to-value ratio, and then when the commodities market's down, they'd sell the slave, say he ran away, and the banks would be hung, right? And the banks couldn't prove that, you know, Harry was their slave because they couldn't, they had no way of perfecting collateral, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, so that was number one. The second was the Haitians rebelled and, and the Europeans sent several armies in to try and quell the rebellion and never could. The, the Haitians were too good. Okay. Now, if you look at digital technology, you can perfect the collateral. Okay. And with space weaponry and, and the kind of weaponry you have from space and surveillance, you can put down any rebellion. Right? So... The reasons that the slave trade, which was unbelievably profitable, the history of the world is slavery is the most profitable business. It's more profitable than mining. It's more profitable than um, than narcotics. I mean, it's it's more profitable than all the addictions. So if you now have the technological capability of implementing slavery, their attitude, I think, is, okay, let's do it. Right? Yeah. And part of it is technolo technology also makes it much easier for a small group of people to get together and be very powerful. So, for example, if they bring in breakthrough energy technology, the danger is a small group of crazy people can weaponize it. So technology is powerful. The more powerful technology you integrate, the more danger there is you lose control. Now... There are other theories as why people would want complete control. So for I'll give you another reason. You know, given the difficulty of feeding and managing a population that's getting ever larger, if you now have biotechnology that allows Mr. Global to live for 150 years, you know, you can't afford, you can't keep that secret, right? If, if, the, if the wealthy are live, live, living for 150 years and we're not, that you can't keep that a secret. So, so why not downsize the population, integrate robots, use robotics for everything, and you can have a, a very wealthy and luxurious life without all the management headaches, right? So, the kind of breaking of society into into different classes or into an uber class and a vast peasantry mixed with robotics. Yes. Yeah, in other words, what I think what's trying, what's trying to happen here is Mr. Global is using technology to move to a system where between robotics, AI, and software, a few people can control the many 
with far less headaches and fear. You have to remember, Mr. Global is very, very afraid of the general population. Their fear. Yeah, they're very afraid because if you've been keeping, you know, several times I'm told the leadership in the United States has gotten together to discuss how can we undo the secrecy. And each time they come to the conclusion it's impossible. You can't undo the secrecy because the liabilities are too enormous. So if you're the swamp and you're guilty of all the different things the swamp is guilty of, and you try and open the window on the secrecy, you run tremendous risks, tremendous risks. So you're afraid of the general population. And the history of governance is, you know, the general population occasionally does turn and kill the leadership. So there are 325 million people in America, there are more guns. So, you know, my guess is the reason Jay Powell was backpedaling when the head of the IMF was talking about digital identities is he's sitting there knowing he's got 325 million people and more, and a lot of them have guns and they don't have a lockdown yet. This is why the Second Amendment is such a fractious issue. Most people around the world don't understand why people in America are so rabid about owning guns. And, you know, the first reason they're rabid about owning guns is they don't understand the power of mind control. <laughs> so, you know, so if I can institute total mind control, which is what the system is, you know, guns aren't that dangerous to me. But, um, you know, the leadership is... To do what they want to do, it would be very, very convenient if they could bring in the guns. And you'll see if the Democrats win this election, that's the first thing they're going to try and do. Um, after making everybody wear face diapers, they're going, to, they're going to try and bring in the guns. And this is why the Republicans holding the Senate has been such a big issue. Yeah. Because they can't do it if the Republicans hold the Senate. The election is such a mess, huh? So here's the thing. When I try and tell everybody, you know, because I, I grew up in Philadelphia, and my first boyfriend's father was a ward leader who used to go out with a roll of cash and buy all the votes every election. So, you know, there's an old tradition in America of voting fraud. And what I tell everybody is neither one of these candidates would have been the candidate without the voting fraud to begin with. So, you know, we're in a funny position, but I've never seen the voting fraud as blatant. And I think to a certain extent... You know, it's interesting. They could not have stopped a Trump landslide without COVID-19. So one question I have is how much of the, because I thought they would do this after the election, how much of the timing of the health care op is basically designed to make sure they don't get a populist president? Not that Trump isn't, you know, it's hard for me to think of Donald Trump as a populist because he's very much on board for the pro-centralization team, but he's... Um, as Michael Moore has said, he's the American people's way of saying F you to the, to the leadership. So I think it was very important to them to get rid of Trump, which they're trying to do. The problem is they've used massive voter fraud to do it, and, but they've used the fraud in a way that it's obvious that the fraud is off the charts. And it's almost as though you know, they, they're turning to the, the population, which they're trying to turn into a cult and saying, you have to pretend this guy is the president, even though you know he's not. <laughs> so, 
So, you know, we have a fake virus and a magic virus and a fake president and a magic political system. And, it's, you know, it really is getting very cult-like. It's the only thing I can say. Yeah, it's almost like a, a switch is flicked this year and we're in bizarro world, right? <laughs> um, so we've been in bizarre world. From the minute they started to, to steal the money, we moved into a bizarre world. And I think... You know, the only difference is now, as they moved all the money and the official reality moved away from reality even further and further, you know, that's part and parcel of the secrecy, many people thought they could stay on the middle of the road. And now what's clear is, you know, you have to go with the cult or you have to go with truth. The middle of the road is, is going away. And so everybody has to choose which they want. Let's go to the riots. Okay, so, so when the riots began and the leadership took the position that you couldn't go to church because of the danger of the magic virus, but you could go to the riots and protest, <laughs> my team and I started to look at the riots and so we first we made if you if you come into Soleri, there's a database called COVID nineteen and uh, I think it's COVID nineteen riots and Fed. So the first thing we did is we looked at the state, and we looked at the cities, and whether the governor was Democrat or Republican, and then what the COVID cases and deaths were. And then we said, okay, we're going to check a box called riots where riots have been. So we started to look at the patterns of the riots vis-a-vis -vis the machine, polit political machine control and sort of the COVID magic virus op. And there was something wrong when I was looking at the data and I could feel, you know, I, I'm a very intuitive person. I was saying, there's something, there's something here. So I said to the wonderful teammate who was building this, I said, do me a favor. I want you to put a box called the Federal Reserve. And I want you to check the box there are 12 banks, one headquarters, and then the branches for a total of 37 locations. I want you to check the box wherever, in, in any city where we have a branch or a bank or the headquarters, I want a check. And what we discovered is 34 of the 37 bank locations have riots. And I said, well, wait a minute, that's a pattern. <laughs> There's something here. Let's drill down. So we started with Minneapolis, and uh, we said, let's take the data of all the buildings that were harmed or burnt, or businesses, and we'll map it. You know, we'll do a GIS software, and we'll map where these businesses were, and how close they were to the Federal Reserve Bank. And so the first one we did, there's a, there's a street going across Minneapolis called Lake, and we mapped them. And one of the things we did when we mapped them was we drew pictures of where the opportunity zones were. Do you know what an opportunity zone is? An opportunity zone is a tax shelter mechanism created in 2018 to help the tech billionaires as they sold their stock avoid capital gains. So you can, if you're Jeff Bezos who sold $10 billion of stock this year, if you were to roll over your proceeds into opportunity zone investments and handle it in a certain way, 
you could avoid all capital gains tax. So this is fantastically profitable. Now, if you look at the riots, when I first saw how all the buildings and businesses destroyed along Lake Street were right at the bottom of the opportunity, I started to laugh and I said, you know, I was Assistant Secretary of Housing. That's not a riot pattern. That's a real estate acquisition plan. So what are you saying? It's to, it's to cheapen the prices in the city? To so so I have a thriving series of small businesses, a lot owned by African-American and Hispanics along a particular boulevard in the Opportunity Zone. If first I declare the businesses non-essential and shut them down, right? Magic virus. So first I declare them non-essential, so now they're in real trouble, right? because they can't do their business. And then I have riots and burn and damage them, right? If I was really clever, I'd pull their insurance right before I did it. I don't know what the case was, but we'll see. So now their business is shut down. They're now hung on their debt, right? Whether their mortgage or their credit card. But even worse, now their building has been damaged. And of course, insurance doesn't cover all the repairs and fixing, right? So needless to say, it's going to be a lot easier and cheaper for me to go in and buy up all those buildings, right? Voila. It's called disaster capitalism. So we then mapped, we did Minneapolis, then we mapped uh, Kenosha, then Portland, and now we're doing a place in Ohio. And the, the patterns we're seeing, if you look at the clusters of where the damage is, just speaking as Assistant Secretary of Housing, those are, in my opinion, real estate acquisition plans completely, you know, especially when they come on top of declaring all those small businesses not essential and shutting them down or restricting them. You know, you, I'm sure you got a lot of restaurants in there. Yeah. So, for example, if you look at San Francisco, 49% of the businesses in San Francisco are expected to be out of business by the end of the year. Do you know how much real estate you're going to be able to pick up cheap on this? It's, gonna, it's phenomenal. Now, when you realize that if they sell their tech stocks high, they can pick it up really cheap, what's important to understand is this makes the economics of building the smart grid out in the Fed cities. Remember I said 34 of 37 cities have a Fed banker branch. So this makes building out the smart, smart grid around the Fed banks much cheaper, which I'm assuming you want to do if you're going to come out with a crypto system. Okay. Okay, so Mr. Global is now coming to the point where... And can you explain who's Mr. Global? Yeah, so Mr. Global is my nickname for the committee that runs the world. The defining characteristic of life on planet Earth is our real global governance system is a mystery. And think about it, it's phenomenal we live on a planet and we don't demand to know how our governance system really works. But instead, it's a secret. So, you know, I have a lot of high-octane conjectures, Dr. Fair would say about who and what that is, but for now, we'll call it Mr. Global. So Mr. Global is now implementing robotics. That's one of the new technologies that's really starting to make an enormous difference. Can you label that? That's okay, so, so, so here's our robot, and here's our human. And of course, the question for Mr. Global is, 
you know, which is more efficient doing what? In other words, if I'm supposed to manage the planet and all the natural resources and harvest it to my benefit and make sure, you know, my risk is reduced, how much do I want to use robots for and how much do I want to do, do humans for? Now, the brilliance of hooking everybody into the cloud with a crypt system, a crypto system, is with AI and software, I can have the humans teach the robots through the AI and software how to do all their jobs. And in fact, I was at the Aspen Institute in 2017, and I was having a discussion with, with a venture capitalist, you know, sort of billionaire type, and he looked at me with these amazingly dead eyes, and he said, look, honey, you know, I can I can take every company completely automate it with with software and robotics and and fire all the humans. We don't need them anymore. I've never talked to anybody who didn't understand the riot part, because uh-huh. that's a very typical old game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially in poor neighborhoods. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you want me to continue with this? So we have we have the. Mr. Global at the top. We have the database and software systems using artificial intelligence. Uh, a very important part of this now is the satellite system that's being put up in the orbital platform. And using telecommunications and digital technology, you have the ability 24-7 to track and monitor both your humans and your robots. And the question for Mr. Global is, what's more efficient? If I can do everything with robots, then what do I do with the humans? I don't need them anymore. So are we seeing build a kind of human farming or something? So they would describe it as resource management. And if you look at the technocracy and the writing about technocracy, so many of us describe we're moving from a, you know, whatever systems we use now to a technocracy. In a technocracy, they, they view, you have two different visions of the world. My vision of the world is that humans are sovereign individuals whose freedom comes by divine authority. That is what the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution all revolve around. The image of a, of a sovereign individual as, as someone um, who is free by divine authority. In the vision of technocracy, a human is a natural resource like a oil deposit and to be used as such. So they're not a sovereign individual, they're labor, and they are either more efficient or less efficient than a robot at different functions. In other words, what I'm saying is Mr. Global views the human race like livestock, not someone with which they share empathy and you know, they don't view us as the same species as them. And in fact, with a lot of the biotechnology, they figure they're going to live much longer lives than we do and live very differently than we do. So there's been a real, one of the, one of the challenges with the secrecy as one group becomes more and more technologically advanced, they separate culturally legally, financially, from all the other groups. In other words, they have literally broken away and created a separate civilization. They don't think of themselves as part of our civilization anymore. And who is they? 
Well, that's the great mystery, and that's why I call this group Mr. Global. And I, you know, my personal experiences with many different people in that group and factions, but ultimately, I can't tell you who really controls. What I will tell you is the planet is run by force. And so ultimately, the question is, who is the, who is the most powerful gun? And that comes down to space. Who has the most powerful space presence, space weapons, as well as who controls the sea lanes? So traditionally, control behind the reserve currency came from control of the sea lanes. But then as we've moved into space, it's, it's now become control of both the sea lanes and the satellite lanes. And the question is, who controls what and who has what weapons? One of the reasons you've seen a very interesting discussion in the United States for the last two years is Trump has been very verbal about space force and what is possible in space, and he'll make these allusions to our magical weapons in space, at which point the generals look at him very disapproving, like, don't talk about that. So the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. What we do know is part of the competition right now between China and America is that the player who has the most dominant position in space has the power to control the whole planet. So, so the Chinese have a, um, a system called the social credit system and they're very much tying their financial transactions and different abilities to travel and do other things to your behavior. And, um, uh, you know, we've seen different TV shows talk about these kinds of systems. But you're talking about a world where, and we see it in China, where um, most people are under 24-7 surveillance and then their financial incentives and their financial powers relate to how well-behaved they are. And I would describe it essentially as a, as a slavery system because there's no personal freedom. So to a certain extent, what technocracy will do is move us to a similar kind of system as the Chinese social credit system. Where if you misbehave, you can be punished. Right, so, so you know, you, so, so in theory, you have to get a certain kind of job to make a certain kind of money. Uh, in the current system, in the new system, you have to uh, work for a certain kind of company and achieve a certain kind of prominence to be allowed to to move more than 10 miles from your home or to be allowed to fly. So there'll be a pecking order that relates to your freedoms to either travel or roam um, or how much sort of access you have to resources. So how much money you can make. But remember, you're you're going into a system where if they believe they can automate everything with robotic software and AI, it's going to be that much harder for you to share in the benefits and the wealth of the system because the, the central group can extract so much more. In other words, they have a one-way mirror. They can see everything you do. You can't even see who they are. Yeah, okay. What's very important to understand about what is happening is that the majority of people have been, if, if we're talking about a transhumanist system or, you know, in short, a slavery system, 
most of us have been supporting it and financing it and building it. So when I look at all the big pharma executives, why are they building a system where their own children or grandchildren will be slaves? Why are the central banks doing it? Why do they think, you know, there, there's a theory in America for many years among the sort of money classes that if I make enough money, I can get a waiver, I can get out of it, I can eat organic food, not eat the GMOs, and my grandkids, you know, won't have to take vaccines. But if you look at who's implementing all these different activities, you know, we're building our own slavery system, and that means we have the power to stop. In other words, we don't have to finance the companies that are doing this. We don't have to work for the companies that are doing this. And in fact, we don't even have to pay our taxes because the government is breaking all the laws related to financial management. We have the ability to hold them accountable. So we're building the prison and we're financing the prison and that gives us the power to stop. And that's why it's so important that we see where the system is going. There will be no exceptions. So what is the solution? Solution is number one, bring transparency to what's happening, understand where the system is going, and then stop building it. You know, if, if you work for Big Pharma and you're building this, stop. You know, go find something else to do, like build local fresh food systems so you will have food. Um, you know, so stop financing it. Um, begin the conversation of where this is going and more importantly, where we want to go. Because we're going to have to rebuild the economy bottom up if we don't want to be highly centralized. So this comes down to, you know, I call it coming clean. Once upon a time I was in Washington, I was writing a check on my J.P. Morgan Chase private banking account. And in the meantime, I was engaged in 12 different tracks of litigation, litigating with the people who were trying to engineer the housing bubble. I was trying to stop the housing bubble from happening. And I was running a check on my J.P. Morgan Chase personal banking account. I realized, why am I banking at the bank that's doing this criminality, that's destroying communities, that's doing predatory lending? And I said, you know, I need to come clean. I need to stop banking there. So, you know, if tomorrow everybody woke up in America and stopped banking at J.P. Morgan Chase and said, you know something, y'all are criminals, we want nothing to do with you, we're out, and went to a local credit union or community bank, it would be a revolution. It would be a, a, a total revolution. If 20 women turned to big farm executives and said, you know something, you're disgusting, no sex, bye out the door be a revolution so we have the power to change this but we're all going to have to come clean because almost all of us are complicit in implementing this it's not them it's us the solution is for every one of us to come clean you're either for the transhumanist slavery system or you're for for a human system but if you're for a human system then you're going to have to find a way to make money you know, and, 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 and engage socially in a human system and stop building a, a transhumanist system. Well, the first thing you have to see is you have to get a good map. In other words, you can't navigate this unless you can see the transhumanist system that is being built and who's building it. But 
if you're involved with, so let's go back to the pillars. Okay. Don't help the military build Operation Warp Speed. Okay. Don't help the tech guys figure out how to inject nanoparticles into your body and hook them up to the cloud. Don't help big pharma, you know, make, make injections which are poisoning American children to death. Don't help big ag make grow GMO food that is poisoning America to death. Don't help the government institute corrupt, you know, sort of health crisis regulations that are really disaster capitalism and making the private equity guys and the billionaires rich and on and on and on. But if you, if you, you know, I'll just be blunt, get the state of our currencies and read it and you'll know who's doing this. I mean, it's pretty obvious who's doing this. Okay then, Michael, are you there? Yes, ma'am, I am here. And uh, this is simultaneously. <laughs> it gets worse the second time I heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But it it it's simultaneously, you know, um, bleak and encouraging. Because, like, you know, those last couple of minutes, you said, "Okay, here's what you do: stop cooperating. You know, get a local credit union. Don't help big agro. You know." Um, go for non-GMO foods, locally produced foods. Don't you know? Just there's all these ways in which we can withdraw cooperation because we're building this for them. That's you know that's the thing I want to try to focus on. I mean, to me, this is you know one of the most credible, authoritative, straight out, factual. You know, for this this lady obviously knows her stuff. She's a former. Assistant Secretary of the Housing and Urban Development for the United States. You know, this is obviously an extremely well-informed, intelligent, grounded person who who knows her stuff. And when she doesn't know it, she'll tell you. She says, I don't know who Mr. Global... I have a feeling when she said that, like, well, who's Mr. Global? So she said, I don't know. I think what I got from that is she has pretty good idea like suspicions reasonable inferences about who comprises the committee that she refers to as mr global but above that committee there's probably another set of puppeteers and she said you know so the big mystery is who's really running it and of course there's different factions and they're fighting each other china versus the u.s for the domination of space do you remember nancy that um famous line that lbj came up with right after Sputnik launched, right? Remember that was like 1957, the Russians launched Sputnik, right? And uh, and that was what scared the U.S. into starting NASA and the space program. I was like, oh, my God. And Lyndon Johnson said, you know, it's about the high ground of space, and I don't want to be going to sleep under a communist moon. <laughs> you know? I do remember and, that, yes. Yeah. And so uh, so now, you know, I mean, that's that's the reality. Of course, you, you know, you hear about Elon Musk and, you know, and uh, sending up 20,000 satellites and it's connected to 5G. And she just gives such a clear picture of how all the pieces interconnect. You know why you and me here on Radio 5G, we ain't been talking just 5G for a good long time now because it's all connected to 
you know, implementing this slave system. And, and it's, you know, the satellites are connected to the smart cities are connected to making your body hooked up to the cloud or connected to, you know, the government implementing all these control structures around the magic virus, you know, which is the excuse to do everything they've always wanted to do. And it's the invisible enemy, you know, it's perfect as yes, though, no, you know, oh, it's invisible. Oh, it's over there, but you can't see it. But don't worry. Just uh, be a good boy. Be a good girl. Take your vaccine. We'll give you your universal basic income. And uh, too bad that you, all the shops on Main Street are closed down. And you can only shop at Walmart, you know, if you're a good boy, good girl. Um, so this is, as you said, transparency blows their game. Transparency blows their game. And the fact that we're talking about it and that she's still, you know, I'm amazed, frankly, that uh, this is still up on YouTube. I mean, I heard it was taken down and then it went back up. What do you hear about that? About, you know, I heard this. I heard that um, it was being copied and put up all, all over the place. But I was stunned that it hasn't been taken down. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't. I don't know what's happening. I really don't know what's happening. Um, especially because she does have so much credibility. Let's just for a minute look, look back at who she is. She, she was in the government, deeply in the government, very successful. But she began to perceive the problem with what we now call the housing bubble when it broke. And right. she attempted to, you know, get the people in HUD to be responsive and responsible. And she said that she finally got it when she was at a meeting and the guy conducting the meeting was spouting something and she said to him, you do realize that's illegal, don't you? And he said, so? <laughs> so? You know, and she she really, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but she got it that they do not have any respect for the law. It's like mm -hmm. they, they don't they, they spit in the face of law. It doesn't it threaten them because they're in control of it. I mean, she talks or you hear people talk and we've talked be before and I think I've mentioned it on this that the judges themselves are and we we went over this with uh Bibi Bacha. Bacha? I think is her name. Um I'm yeah, not pronouncing that. it right. Um you know, concerning the fact that you've got a different legal system that is designed to be commercial and to give no credence to the sovereignty of the individual. And right, I said, yeah, and I and I said that you know, individuals trying to you know beat this in in court are going to get kicked because they don't care. They, you know, they're playing by a, a, a game, but the reality is, is that they don't care about that specific game. They're just keeping us drama, you know, putting up the drama and keeping us occupied. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why, you know, I recognized this back in 2013. I spent five years of my life as part of a movement to create a, an enforceable international court of human rights that would prosecute the systematic crimes by which the cabal does business on a daily basis. Because as you say, there is no, you know, consequences for them. 
And they don't, you know, tyrants don't step down voluntarily. And this is about if you're able to seize their assets, if you're able to put them in prison, you know, then and only then will it stop. And, uh, you know, so we were pretty close um, to, you know, beginning. It was a very long, ambitious project to to make effective. We were getting pretty close in 2018 when... uh, well, let's just say it got corrupted and, and, and I had to pull out and go in a different direction. But I still think it's, you know, in the long run, it's about, as she says, you know, withdraw cooperation. That's that's always been the key. Um, we're coming up on the hour here. And so we're going to take our, our break in uh, a few seconds here, like right now. So, so much to talk about. And um, who's our inspiring music today for when we come back? I'm actually trying to figure it out as you were talking to me because I'm, tr- I'm going down my list to see what feels right, you know? And um, I guess I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, disturbance is always good. <laughs> well, it's not disturbance. Okay, we'll play it. But it's not disturbance. The group is disturbed. And I've been calling <laughs> them disturbance. Disturbed. And it was so funny because it, it, in the chat the, the other night, you know, um, somebody says, you do know it's disturbed. Well, I had found that out because I actually looked up. I wanted to put an image on the YouTube we were talking about, right, last week. So I find the find a picture of it, and it says disturbed, not disturbance. It might be Mandela effect. Oh, well, that's great. You know, <laughs> you know? get that, that line from uh, West Side Story and uh, Sergeant Krupke. I'm disturbed, I'm disturbed, I'm the most disturbed, like I'm psychologically disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, somebody, around. somebody, somebody in chat said, hey, they, you know, somebody said, you know, it is disturbed, and, and somebody else came back and said, oh, I told them that a year ago, but they don't pay any attention to me. <laughs> okay, well now we got it disturbed. Disturbed, like but it. I'm still going to think of it as disturbance. Sounds of silence. <laughs> disturbed is causing a disturbance. Absolutely. <laughs> and we're back. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Radio 5G, Michael Henry Dunn, Nancy Hopkins. I get tingles still every time I hear that song. And, uh, you know, I imagine, I envision it being sung by people gathered together, you know, all over the world. And uh, God willing, that's going to be happening more and more. So uh, you, but we're can't, talking about- but we can't sing now. Remember, we're in the, right. we've, got the invisible, we've got the invisible virus out there. Right, that, it's, know, very it's, dangerous. Gonna, it's very dangerous. Yeah. It's very dangerous. Especially, especially don't sing at church. Oh, my gosh. No, don't, no, don't, no. Go, to, don't, don't okay go to church. To, Walmart, okay you, might, you might be able to hum in Walmart. Right, in Walmart or on the airplane, you know, where you're packed in like sardines. That's okay. It's been, uh, Walmart's okay. I, somebody, a friend of mine, sent me just this morning um, this great little video sketch skit call it where it's from it's from the uk and you've got this very typical like you know posh accent british announcer going you know well as we all know the virus um, can be spread at close range by speaking and research has revealed that certain consonants are much more likely to spread the virus than others and so these consonants have now been banned and you are no longer able to use, for example, uh, the consonant P. So, for example, if you're going to say 
Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. It will now be necessary to say, uh, Ita Iper Ipta Ack of Ickled Eppers. (laughs) It's hilarious. This is how absurd it's getting, you know? I did see that. I saw saw that video. (laughs) Yeah. The guy was really good delivering it, too. Oh, He was so British. Yeah, (laughs) God, I love those crazy breads. Um, say, speaking of which, what do we hear from our friend Mark Steele? I was thinking about him last night. We have to contact him. I'll yeah. contact him and uh, find yeah. out. How, you know, my basic thing was that um, he was he was he was out there doing all this stuff. I didn't really want to say, "Hey, Mark," because I know he would for us um, come on the radio show. I was just like, "He's a busy guy," you know. Uh, but I think that it's it's getting time to at least bring him in for a little bit and yeah, give him a hug, yeah. <laughs> a digital for hug. Sure. Might be exactly. the only way anybody's going to be able to hug for, you know, if, if the if the worst was to happen. <laughs> well, you know, so okay, I try to look at the bright side, me being an optimist, and also what's the point if we're not being optimists? Why are we even talking? You know, what do we do? How can we turn this around? How can we get around the corner on this? And uh, so the agenda is going to be coming at us even faster now. And to me, like, okay, that's going to light a fire under a lot more people's butts than might have happened if they thought it was going to be okay. Because guess what? You know, it was coming either way, but now it's going to be coming faster. So, you know, to me, when I think about how we oppose mandatory vaccines, you know, how we oppose imposition of the QFS, the quantum financial system, which is basically just the slave system, as as Catherine Austin Fitz has just described for us. And, you know, that's what I'd love to focus on, um, because when, you know, and, and you match this with what we shared with everybody, what was it, a couple of months ago, Nancy, with um, Dr. Christian Northrup, who is extremely well-qualified physician, we know, widely respected nationally, internationally too. You know, it's been on Oprah a bunch of times, best-selling books, uh, especially on women's health. And she just takes you through the science of this vaccine and of the chips and of the biodata and of the, you know, the, the deliberate changes to your genetics that are, you know, right in there, where this is what it is, folks. You know, so when you match- and the fact that the patent on it, which is six six six, the number. I know. It's you know, like, I mean, you know. it's, it's like six C six. I don't know, but it comes out to looking like a six six six. I mean, it's like this stuff is so in our faces, and it comes down to people waking up. It's just like she's telling. It. We have the power. They're terrified of us. That's why they keep rushing in and doing stupider and stupider things. But obvious things, you know, yeah, there's been fraud in elections, but nobody really saw it. Well, this was is blatantly in your face. And so it's like they're in a desperate state. And that, that yeah. you know, I mean, yes, it looks terrible. I mean, apparently they, they've gone and done the same thing in um, in Georgia. I mean, I saw, I was watching the, the Senate uh, numbers and, uh, oh, geez, I, I mean, you just kind of like, it was freaking me out because they were all of them, four of them at 50 percent, 50 percent, 50 percent, you know, in and around there for, you know, 
for the whole election thing. Everybody came in, it was 50%, 50%. And it was like, how could 50% of, it's such a perfect, you know, why, why, and I was trusting the, the, um, the reports at, at, in the early type of the game, you know, but you're going like, how can, one out, 50-50, how could it be that perfect, 50-50? You know, that 50% of us see what's happening and 50% of us don't. And I'm sure they're yeah. just as, you know, sure of their position as we are of our position. So it's 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 just, you know. But now it, uh, he well, the president since I guess maybe I don't know I don't know what they're doing on Fox, but the president um, had been talking the t- full time that we've been on the air, um, to mm-hmm. a crowd in D.C. That when I first when they first started showing it, I'm going like, oh my God, where are the people? Well, they yeah. only let a small group into the exact place that he was speaking. But then, even on Fox, they scanned back, and the crowd went from the White House all the way back through the commons. All the way. There was a, yeah. well over a million people there. And I know this because I have been there when a million people were there. Yeah. And that crowd is bigger than the one I was in. So, you well, know, it's it's just the, the it's like the two realities are like ripping apart, you know, but so slowly, so slowly. It's like what? Well, it's like the thing the thing that she pointed out to us here is, you know, divide and conquer. Uh like invisible enemy. Okay, first you had terrorists, now you got, you know, the virus. That works. Invisible enemy, you can clamp everybody down. Second thing, divide and conquer. And, you know, yeah, there's this divide, this reality divide you're talking about. And, you know, how many of these people actually share the same values? How many of these people on both sides, if they knew the real game, would say, oh, we've been conned. Just, you know, you're not you're not a demon. You're actually a fellow American. Now, at the far ends of either spectrum, yeah, you've got wackos on both sides. You know, you've got leftists, atheists, you know, yeah, let's love, love up China side, you know, on the left. And, you know, you've got you know, Nazi types on the far, far right, etc. But in the middle, there's most of the rest of us folks who, if we knew the real game, if we knew, you know, what Catherine Austin Fitz is sharing with us here, we'd say, oh, well, enough of this. Let's stop fighting each other and get a local credit union. Stop supporting, you know, just pull our cooperation from the system and it will fall apart. That's when you look at history, which I like to do. And, you know, every time that, an elite system gets scared and they think, okay, we got to clamp down. Chances are, because they're out of touch with, with the bigger, what you might call cosmic reality here on Cosmic Reality Radio, they're out of touch with the cosmic reality. They do it clumsily and too late. And if you look at, you know, Russia, Soviet Union, Perestroika and Glasnost and the Gorbachev, it went too far. And the Politburo said, right, coup, time to get rid of this guy, Gorbachev. We're taken back over. We're going to take Eastern Europe back over. Well, it was too late, and the whole thing fell apart. If you look at the Brits, look at the Brits in Ireland, you know, 1916, Easter Rebellion. It was a disaster. Easter Rebellion was, you know, it had been infiltrated. It fell apart. But the Irish said, we got to strike a blow. So they struck a blow, and the Brits said, right, we're going to teach them a lesson. And we're going to hang them. 
They hung them. They hanged them, and Ireland went up in frickin' flames in outrage. You know, they, they do it over and over again. They try to clamp down, and it's too late, and the system falls apart. And I think that's what we're looking at coming up now, that, you know, they're going to try to reboot the old order. And after four years of Trump, it ain't happening, you know, and too many people have woken up. And when you've got somebody like Catherine Austin Fitz laying out the truth here and saying, okay, folks, transparency can still turn the game. We can still win this. We are still sovereign beings, you know, from divine authority. And we're not going to be turned into slaves, you know. And, yeah, they're not going to take away the guns. I mean, that's the thing that most cracks me up. Well, it cracks me up, but it would be tragic. But, you know, to imagine, okay, they got this 50-50 deal in the Senate with Kamala Harris breaking the tie. You, you know, they try to pass some, you know, mandatory gun seizure deal. That's going to be another one of those things that is like, oops. We lit the fuse under the flame of American Second Amendment righteous anger. You know, like she said, hey, if we get the mind control thing in, we don't have to worry about the guns. So don't take the vaccine, people. Do not take the freaking vaccine. Check out Dr. Christian Northrup, one of the most respected physicians in America, on what is inside that vaccine. Ay, ay, ay. Well, you know, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, the head general, the, the head general, um, he, Yamamoto. Yeah, he said, we have awoken a sleeping giant. And he understood yep. that they could never win against the United States. The same thing can be said about the people of the world. But I go back, I, it's like this, this resounding little echo in my head when, when I get to this point. And it's Dr. Paul saying, you know, my greatest fear is that we will be essentially mind-controlled before we realize it. <clears throat> That's right. what he's afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of. That's what I've yeah. been afraid of. But you see so many people. I mean, the fact that you've got that many people in D.C., and I've been messaged. I can't see it because Fox isn't showing it. Uh, apparently, the president is going to walk down the street to the Congress building with the crowd. That's what's happening. They've, they've stopped showing that. The, they're in the Congress itself, and they have the Senate has, um, uh, you know, questioned the Arizona electoral vote. So both houses have now gone into their respective places and will debate for two hours that particular thing, the Arizona question that's been brought up. And at that time, they will present the data indicating how much vote election fraud went on in uh, Arizona. And then so they come back and they decide one way or the other whether they're going to accept that. And then they go through the five states. This is going to be all day. But they're now got the cameras on an empty Senate. They're just, you know, they're just walking around in it. Or I guess, it's, I guess that's the House. Walking around. And they're not showing what's happening on the streets. And this is the problem, <clears throat> is that they continually are censoring us. I mean, much more important than, well, equally as important as the guns is the right to communicate. The freedom of speech. And they have taken that yep. away from us. It is so incredibly limited right now. 
that people really have to pay attention. That's why, you know, I mean, it's like I'm saying to my friends who are, you know, anti-Trumpers, you know, like, and I'm not saying it like, I'm just saying, well, I guess the censorship is up, and I'm telling them how, you know, I've been virtually taken off of my ability to run the Facebook group because I approve I approve posts that are later found to be untrue. And, you know, so the, the Cosmic Reality group, I can post, but I cannot approve posts <clears throat> because every time there's people that are trying to post, I go to approve them, they won't let me. They're threatening to take down the sta the Facebook group. Uh, it's it's so incredibly, I mean, in America. And, you know, I go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, Max Egan. And I think it might be two years now. He was on and talking about the Chinese situation. He And he was forecasting, you know, what, what they wanted to do in, in the United States was on the same, uh, you know, way that they've done it in China. And understand what they're talking about because it's, you know, when, when I heard it, I'm going like, oh, gosh, you know, that's just awful. But I don't think in my mind I really, even though I've got a great imagination, I could imagine that, you know, this within a, a matter of virtually, you know, a year and a half that I would be in the same situation very close to what the Chinese are in and can see it happening instantaneously. Because in right. China... If you, like, if Michael and I were having this conversation, okay, first off, they're linked digitally, you know, to, to the cloud thingy. They've got them all marked out, just like she was explaining. That's real in China. But what would happen to us is that we would have all of our ability to uh, use our money, no jobs. We would be limited in, in, you know, virtually <clears throat> housebound and prison and housebound. But the, the really awful thing is that anybody who was associated with us would also be on, like, a look-at list. So now all your family, right. all your friends want to shun you <clears throat> because they're afraid of getting in the same situation you are. This is a reality in China right now. Yeah, right now. Yeah, it's so true. And the other thing, you know, if you if you still persist in resisting, well, you get taken away and your organs get harvested. <laughs> Seriously, that's that's where China is. But, you know, another thing that gives me hope about this, Nancy, is that, uh, you know, broadly speaking, Asian culture, you know, in a lot of Eastern countries, uh, India accepted, um, it's very much consensus consciousness we are individualism you know the the eastern society is very much groupthink it's very much um you know conformed to a a societal consensus and it it is not normal to them to want to stand out to want to achieve your dreams to want to go be this unique you know individual that is just deep in the american spirit you know i mean our ancestors came over here to shake off that kind of thing and then you've got, you know, sort of the cowboy um, archetype in the American psyche. And it's really strongly blended in with the Native American archetype. You know, um, yeah, we, you know, committed genocide against the Native Americans, but we also absorbed their freedom into our psyche. You know, it's in this land. And so that's what gives me hope when I look, you know, you can, you can impose this social value system. You know, social credit system like you're describing 
much more easily in China than you could here if we don't all get mind controlled. <laughs> you know, if we enough of us say, um, excuse me, folks, just look at the science on this vaccine. Uh, we're not doing it, you know, um, because that that really is hooking yourself into the cloud and hooking yourself into into mind control. And mind control is not sci-fi. You know, it's been sci-fact for a long time. I mean, you were looking at this back in the 70s, weren't you, about coming mind control technologies that they were working on? Oh, yes. I was, I was, this was shown to me back in 1975. Shown to me that this is what they wanted to do. And, you know, I've been fighting from since then to try to stop it. So you can understand my frustration is I've watched it grow and stronger and stronger and stronger. And, um, like I say, it was... When, when I saw the push that they had made to get the 5G out there, I was, like, stunned because I thought I was on a... I had a little more time. And I could see change happening. But all of a sudden, the 5G thing shows up, and you convinced me that we could fight. And I wasn't even sure that we could because, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I'd, I'd been pretty beat up with this thing. But, okay, so we start out, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's like everybody started, not everybody, but a good portion of people started realizing it, and and then there's all these websites that come out, and you realize, oh, they've been at it for a while, you know, and within a matter of months, you see a massive difference in the attitude towards 5G. But the the th- problem was, was that they rushed it, because they realized that more people, just like I could feel it, by the interaction of the re- Internet and the radio stations, and the podcasts, and all this. I could see it happening. Well, they saw it, too. And so they had to rush 5G to try to get control over it. Because it's all mind control. This is a mind game. This is a mind war. They're trying to get a hold of us. And they've been working on it for for many decades by infiltrating the school systems, especially at the university level, and then down through the, the entire school systems, but again, they were doing it with culture. They got all the Hollywood people to come over there and make money because they've got this massive... I mean, that's probably why they're keeping so many Chinese around. Look it, i got all these people that you can sell to. You better play a game with me. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like all of a sudden you realize they have been doing this everywhere. They, it's like this, this invisible virus that's taken over. And some of us have a good immune system that we're being protected. We're not falling for it. We're not getting sick by this thing. So it, it's like, wow, you know, I do believe that God's got our back and that we're going to win. But they sure are not making this thing easy. It's yeah. like drawing it out and drawing it out. And, um, I mean, it's, it's very frustrating, but it is what it is. And maybe this is what it takes. This is, yeah. after all, the, in my opinion, a battle between good and evil. No doubt about it. Now, I want to yeah, ask you talk- something. I want to ask you something. Sure, go ahead. Did you see the um, oh, Match.com commercial about the devil? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so you got this terribly looking, very, very real spooky kind of devil looking. 
you know I mean it's it's like a really good presentation of the devil with the horns and all red and muscular and big and you know that guy and he's uh, looking at a computer I guess or his phone or something and so he makes a date with some woman and then meets the woman and um, he says to her 2020 and she says to him just call me 2020 and then she says to him where do you come from and he said hell and she said me too and it's a commercial mm. for match.com yeah it's like oh see how well matched these two are 2020 and the devil that's <laughs> yeah it's like this gets into the popular consciousness and it gets expressed. It's like, oh, this is cool. Oh, this people are going to love this. This is going to be so funny. We're going to match 2020 with the devil. See how well matched we are here at Match.com. And you know, but but the deeper underlying, you know, subconscious reality of that, yikes. You know, <laughs> I want to think about mind control. Um, so back in the 70s, you're checking out the coming mind control. You know, the beginnings of 5G. And, you know, I'm, I was a teenager in suburban Chicago, and because my mom and dad were, you know, forward-thinking, they had nearly all of their ten kids, I was number five, take Silva mind control course. You know, I don't know how many people remember, you know, they later changed the name to Silva Mind Seminars because mind control sounded, you know, uh, sounded strange. But it was essentially, you know, about, okay, here's how you can control your mind. Here's how you can protect yourself against, I mean, I remember the mantra because they, they'd have these ways, okay, the point is to be able to spontaneously at will achieve an alpha brainwave state in which you can access clairvoyance, remote viewing, remote healing, um, in which you can self-anesthetize if you're in pain until you can get to a doctor or something. All these, you know, psychotechnologies, as they were called. And part of me, you know, so you, you have breathing exercise, and it's basically this, you know, self-conditioning thing, so that eventually, just by putting your three fingers together, your thumb, index, and middle finger just together, that that triggers your alpha brainwave state. And part of that, they'd say, so... You can accept or reject this or anything else at this or any other level of the mind. You are sovereign. You can accept or reject this or any other material at this or any other level of the mind. And that, you know, I mean, hey, how many decades later is that? I can still quote it verbatim. You know, so to part of the other thing that gives me hope here is, you know, we talk about having a strong immune system to resist the actual virus that's out there, and there is one. Um, now we need to have a, you know, a strong spiritual immune system, a psychic immune system. And this is where, you know, to me, what we call the inner light network is coming in and bringing us these, uh, these powerful um, quantum tools, metaphysical tools, you know, like we're doing over on Blue Star Rising YouTube channel, The Templar Awakening, with our good friend Reverend Maya Nortumid, you know that this is what feels like to me the angelic realm, and you know the boots on the ground folks, the inner light network, who are the opposing faction, infiltrated at all the other at all the higher levels of 
agro defense politics etc there are the good guys who are uh, also hidden in those high structures um you know this is where the real lever of change is this is where to me you know i've i've, I've been through trying to fight the, the the battle on their turf you know institute a new international court of human rights that's going to seize their assets and put them in prison good luck right it can be done it has to be done but you're fighting on their turf. This battlefield of the spirit and of the quantum level, I mean, it's what you keep t- you know, reminding us all of, Nancy, you know, with Shungite, it's access to the quantum field. What is quantum reality? What are the timelines? You know, this is, this is where the real um, advantage is. This is where it's on our turf, you know? Well, you know, it is, and but there's <clears throat> there's so much more to the story. Uh, you mentioned the Templars. Okay, last night on Oak Island, they, well, over the last couple of weeks, they found this very bizarre, and they're going like, it's not that big an island. Why didn't we see this before? Um, it's, it's a mound, and they did some research, and it matches the serpent mounds that were used by the Templars. Yeah, Oak Island is all about the Templars. <laughs> you know, it's, it's all, like... all about the Templars. What, yeah. you know, who, who, tell us, you know, just give us some little, like a little version of who were the Templars, not what we think in history, but who do you think they really are? <clears throat> Okay, so it goes way back into Pharaonic Egypt and back before that to, you know, India, Lemuria, Atlantis, if you buy that story. But let's bring it up to date. If you want to talk about what most people think of when they hear the word Templars, you know, the knights with the crosses on their chest, right? Crusaders fighting the Saracens and all that. Well, that story is basically a cover story Yes, they were the, the frontline shock troops, the elite troops for the crusader presence in the Holy Land. And they were founded in 1118 AD. They were given sovereign patronage by the Christian king of Jerusalem at that time and became an order of chivalry. What they were doing was they were digging under the Temple of Solomon in search of sacred manuscripts. And the Sufis, Sufi masters, the mystical branch of Islam came to them and said, we know what you're finding in these sacred manuscripts. You're finding the truth, the true origins of Christianity. And we come from the same lineage, and we can teach you how to understand this. And essentially, it's a high sacred science about how to use the ley lines and the grids of Gaia to create sacred space and power. And this, this is you know, power that is part of Gaia's bloodstream. And the bad guys can use it as well. They know how to try to manipulate this. And it's a back and forth between the bad guys and the good guys about how to use this powerful reality of the ley lines of Gaia to help uplift humanity as opposed to how to control and dominate uh, humanity for, you know, their own selfish purposes. So if you look at Oak Island, you know, that the, there's a pretty fair amount of evidence that the Templars went over to North America a century before Columbus there's, you know, the story about um, Henry Sinclair, 1398, being in Newfoundland, um, and that Oak Island 
there, you know, what we received from from Reverend Maya's um, downloads about Oak Island, the you know the, the the tunnels and the valves and the and the passages and the water comes in and then they can't find you know then the water goes out and what we thought we were just about to find the sea comes in and you know it's as fast there must be something down there it's a treasure hunt. well guess what all of that is a red herring all of that is designed to distract attention from what the real reality of Oak Island, which is a deep mystical Templar presence in a hidden recess, in a hidden chamber, where, believe it or not, the story goes, there are 12 Templars in a state of suspended animation holding down a sacred energy for that essential point on the grid that continues to be important for the unfoldment of humanity. I mean, you know, same is true at Notre Dame. You and I did that whole big show on the Notre Dame fire. Um, you know, it goes back and forth. There are sacred technologies now in hand that are being used to disable the dark control of these sacred energies of Gaia. Um, our friends in uh, the Temple of Saqqara who use the um, Holy Grail Vortex Protocol are working with toroidal energies to pierce through the control grid that's been placed over the planet. You know, they go to a sacred power spot. They just say this prayer and use these toroidal energies. And within like 30 minutes, they're getting buzzed by black helicopters or, you know, there's black tinted window SUVs pulling up because they monitor this control grid that they've placed over the planet. But if you're using your sovereign soul power and a sacred technology like this, they can't stop you. As long as you're not picking up a gun and pointing it at them or using some device, they cannot stop you. There is some kind of treaty that they're bound by as well. I don't understand it. But anyway, this is just a thumbnail. You know, we don't have that much time to answer the question in full about the Templars. You know, for two centuries in the Holy Land, yeah, they were protecting the pilgrims. They were the frontline shock troops for the Crusades. But the inner circle of esoteric knowledge was about this, is about Gaia and the long-term upliftment of the human soul, and it goes back thousands of years. And it's still going on. And I'm a Templar. My friends are Templars. We don't claim to be the only restored original lineal branch like I used to in a former organization I was with. To me, you know, if, if you are espousing the universal code of chivalry, that transcends cultures and it ain't just about some medieval guys with crosses on their chests. It's about the Sufis, the Saracens, some of them, like, you know, Salahuddin, the great Sufi, the great Saracen general. He was a real example of the Code of Chivalry. And, you know, it's in India and in the warrior caste, Kshatriya caste of India. It's in all over the world. It's among the Native Americans, you know, the highest universal values of mankind. It's the golden rule. That's essentially is what it is, which is supposed to be the basis of the rule of law. So in the long term, it's about our sovereignty as souls and ascending to our, you know, our communion with God. Anyway, I tried to keep it short, Nancy. I hope that helped. If I can unmute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you yes. Asked a big question. So I had to, you know, go on for a bit. No, 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 no. Um, there are just so many different layers of this because 
we look at it as something happening on the biosphere we call Gaia, or the consciousness of it is Gaia, but it's the biosphere of Earth. And we see the drama playing out here. But then you've got dramas within that drama, the Templars being one, and then you have a myriad of spiritual warriors, a whole a whole new echelon. It's almost like we're, we're having a battle between good and evil, but the players are not just human beings. You know, there right. there are all sorts of spirits, and even the ETs are involved in it. And you know, this is this is this is a cosmic battle. Exactly. And supposedly, it goes down to everybody was uh, you know like okay, kind of doing their own thing until Earth shot off the nuclear bombs. At which point, there was actually a disruption in the cosmic force that threatened other I'll say dimensions but more like right. other layers of experience that now forced everybody to go what the hell just happened and realize that oh my god these earthlings they, they're, they're nowhere prepared for this science and I remember reading a book I can't even remember who was the author of it but it was on the atomic uh, bombs and the development of it. And what he was going through was the fact that they had theoretical understanding of what they were doing. But every time they actually shot one of these things off, what occurred was magnitudes greater than what they anticipated. Mm. You know, and unfortunately I was reading it on a on a trip and I was I was reading it on the plane. And I never picked it up after that. It was one of those those books that, you know, and this is the other thing about, you know, who we are and how we learn. It's like, that's all I needed to hear in that book. You know, so my guides, they guide you to the book, then you read that thing, and now you got it. Okay, you don't need the rest of the book. Or you've read a book, and then you pick it up, and you go, my God, this looks like a different book. You know, we are getting information that if you just kind of like, sit back and say, where's all this information coming from? Like, you're being led down the Templar path. Oaks Island is being led down the Templar path. What is, you know, we were talking with um, uh, Washington, uh, what's his first name? Cal, Cal Cal, Washington. Cal Washington, and he was talking in terms of the uh, ley line, what was it, the spear, or, uh, you know, what would they, what'd you call that? One Notre Dame's part of it goes all the way from... Um, yeah, it's the Sword of St. Michael. Uh, right, it's, a, right. it's a straight line from the Middle East right through holy spots in Europe out to Skellig Michael, which is the island off the coast of Ireland where where Luke Skywalker has been hanging out in the Last Jedi Temple. That's where they shot the Last Jedi Temple because those are authentic ancient temples on this beautiful island off the coast of Ireland. And no more Luke because he's become a spirit. Right. He's a force ghost now. Force ghost. <laughs> he's a force ghost who can, who can fool Ben. Uh, can fool Ben. What, what was his name? Ben, ben Solo. Yeah. Kyle. Whatever his name is. Kylo Ren. Yeah, that was cool. So we, we're, we're in this most magical 
point in existence for so many different layers. You know, and you just gotta you just gotta sit, stand back and watch it and be amazed at the the layers. Yeah, I mean, this is what brought me out to to Colorado, to the valley that I'm in. I'm I'm talking to you from the center right this second of the San Luis Valley, you know, which has these extremely unusual electromagnetic properties due to the fact that it's got one of you know the largest freshwater aquifer going down 25,000 feet beneath that is a huge bed of crystals and gold and it you know uh it has just this extremely high energies high vibration and there's you know there's black ops and rogue CAA groups, you know, with bases in the mountain and there's jets flying overhead and ETs and UFOs and the native, you know, medicine men have come here for centuries or they used to, you know, for vision quests. It was the bloodless valley because the tribes wouldn't fight each other here because, you know, it was holy. And there was a CIA guy who retired here and he just decided, OK, I'm going to live quietly here. Got a conversation going with the guy and he'd say, hey. If you knew what I know about this place, you would never leave here, <laughs> right? It's because the energies are so high here. It's almost like a protective bubble, and the bad guys know it, and they can't get in. Well, at least I hope that's true. It's a really nice story, and there's plenty of evidence to make it seem likely. But, yeah, there's there's um, there's hope, you know. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like you say, there's this big complex picture. It's the angelics and DTs. And then there's, you know, the bad spirits and the bad ETs connected with the bad guys. But, but um, you know, they always end up destroying themselves because service to self as a guiding value system, as a guiding paradigm, carries within it the seeds of its own destruction always because they end up fighting each other. You know, it's like, okay, you know, honor among thieves, yeah. Let's let's cooperate to, you know, to dominate and enslave humanity. Well, it's always going to be about, you know, it's like Game of Thrones. I did it for my family and my house. I do it all over again. I'm pushing this 10 year old kid out the window. If you know the story, that's the beginning of the story. Um, my family, my house, me and, you know, but then the families end up betraying each other, you know, because it's service to self. I mean, story of Richard III, Shakespeare. You know, the thing opens with him killing his own brother, you know, that this is where power leads. What happens in The Godfather? You know, it's about family or protecting the family. And in the end, Michael Corleone kills his own brother to protect his family. You know, this is what it comes to. And it's, you know, I know it just seems so bleak these days, but this is why I, I have hope, you know, because when you're about service to the good of all, you end up creating alliances that are about you know, hey, it's not communism and not socialism. No free enterprise, create a shop, you know, start a business, you know, no government interference. But we're looking out for each other because it's not about, you know, me against my neighbor, you know, my family against yours or, you know. Anyway, maybe I'm too optimistic, but so what? I'm going with it. Better to have hope than to have, you know, continual fear and, you know, oh, my God, the <laughs> we got to have hope, you know, and it is, it's just storytelling. But in this case, it's a big yeah. story. Um, Biggest. 
Yeah, the big, the biggest story. One of the things that she said that really, you know, like, yeah, that's what it's all about. I was a real Trekkie, and I virtually did not miss one of the generation uh, episodes until they got into the Borg. And the Borg, I couldn't handle. Me it, neither. You know, <laughs> freaked me out. Freaked me out in a very visceral way. And everybody that I've actually talked to about this has had the same reaction. Yeah. So, you know, they say that they have to show you um, a, an outcome and you have to agree to it, and they do it by movies. Oh, yeah. And, and their, their trick is, well, if you don't say no, then it's a yes. That's, that's you know, that's how they got around that law. But if so many of us had that visceral, you know, response to the concept of the Borg, I felt at the time that this is this is more than just a story. This mm -hmm. is a warning. Yeah. Yeah. And and you look at you know, okay, there's a lot of movies come out of Hollywood and there was that documentary recently that exposed the system of how they, you know, do this mind control on us with Hollywood movies. But there's some movies, like Lord of the Rings, that they can't stop. It's it's too good it's too beloved you know they couldn't stop lord of the rings and lord of the rings is a message about how they they lose about how the bad guys lose like if you look at you know game of thrones i don't know if you followed it but what catherine austin fitz is describing here what christian northrop dr northrop described about the about the vaccine about you know uploading biochips to the cloud and the and the, the genetic damage and the mind control and all of it. You look at the story of Game of Thrones. Okay, yeah, it starts out with the 10-year-old kid being pushed out the window, but it also starts out with the Night King and the White Walkers in the far north who are essentially zombies. And if they kill you, you are dead for a minute or two, and then suddenly a spooky blue light goes on in your eyes and you rise up as one of them. And that's basically what, you know, the virus does, right? You know, if they can get it out to enough people, they can control enough people. We'll see how, you know, just how dramatic the mind control effect is. But certainly just the, con the economic control is job one, as she points out here. So what happens in the story? Because like you say, Nancy, it's all about storytelling. Well, the TV show Game of Thrones went beyond... The books, because the author, you know, couldn't keep up fast enough with the success. He said, OK, well, here's how it ends. Right. So just when things look bleakest, you know, 100,000, you know, dead bodies brought to life with blue lights in their eyes who are just savage destroyers with, you know, ungodly amounts of energy just rampaging over the last stronghold of human beings in the north. And you watch this episode and all the worst things you could possibly imagine are happening. You know, the good dragons are getting turned into bad dragons and, and all your heroes are being killed and then all their stratagems are being defeated and they hide in the crypts where their ancestors are. And then the, the Night King, you know, the evil leader of all these zombies 
ends up bringing your ancestors' dead bodies back to life, and they start attacking you. I mean, what could be more bleak than this? Grandpa just rose from the grave, and he's trying to strangle me. You know, I mean, it's so incredibly bleak. So what happens? Well, everybody knows, this ain't any spoiler a year and a half later, the little girl that you met in the very beginning of the show, she was this cute little 10-year-old who trained as an assassin when her father was betrayed and killed. She trained as an assassin, and she went through all kinds of hell, and she's this, you know, feisty, it's Arya Stark, right? At the last possible moment, this young, this girl, because she's still pretty much, she's like 18 at that point, who's been trained in the balance of a warrior, and yet she's a woman with the divine feminine in balance, but she's a warrior. At the very last second, she realizes that the whole purpose and training of her life was to be the one person at the last possible moment using the one weapon that could be used destroys the Night King. And when the Night King is killed, every single one of the hundreds of thousands of zombies, this system has been cracked and they all just fall dead. (laughs) So to me, I look at that story going out into the popular consciousness. And I have an addiction, I confess, I have an addiction. I go on YouTube and I watch fan reaction videos of people watching that moment. And for some reason it inspires me and makes me cry nearly every time because it's the people of the world seeing this story and it goes deep. And near the end, you know, the little dwarf guy says, hey, what what unites people? Is it is it gold? Is it armies? Is it flags? No, stories. There's nothing more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And, and you know, and, and this story of, the, of this young woman who, you know, embodies the elevated divine masculine as a warrior and the divine feminine as a compassionate woman, she ends up being the magic weapon that destroys essentially what's to the slave system. You know, it's a metaphor for the slave system. Anyway. What what did she use well, to kill him? What did she use to kill him? Well, okay, so the, so ordinary knives won't touch this guy, and um, then they come up with something called um, dragon stone. Has this, this it's this black stone that they can make daggers of, and that'll kill the zombies. But the night king, the ultimate guy who's been around for a couple thousand years, and he can turn people into zombies after death. Um, there's something called Valerian steel, and um, this is, you know, made from like dragon metal, and it, and this this dagger is part of the story from like ten years. This one dagger, she ends up with it, and it's almost like it's, it's the dagger that helped create him because he was originally created by these by the children of the forest who were trying to protect themselves from the depredations of humanity taking over their sacred forest, and they said, okay, we're we're going to create a bad guy to keep them at bay. And they created the Night King. Well, the Night King ended up getting out of hand and creating thousands of zombies over the next few thousand years. It's a long story. But it was this magic weapon that was the only one. And she was the only person who had the skill, the ninja assassin skill, to be able to slip past, you know, all of his legions of zombies. And just as he's about to behead her brother, who is, you know, has become this this mystic who can see all and know all at the very last possible moment. Anyway, it's a very, look it up, you know, um, season eight, episode three, 
the long night, um, Game of Thrones, it's well worth watching. And you watch the reactions. There's great crowd reactions. You see like a whole huge room full of people in Brazil watching this moment unfold, and they go absolutely ape with celebration of ecstasy, of freedom, of, oh, my God, it's possible. We won. We're free. I mean, that's what you see happening to me, you know, because people are so wrapped up in the story. It it just makes you realize, I mean, people are absolutely immersed in this, in the power of this story. And they're weeping and they're shouting and they're jumping up and down. You know, that's, that's what moves us. And it's the story you and I are telling and that our friends are telling. You know, about what's really going on in the world. This is what's going to move people and wake people up. God willing, inshallah, as they say in the Arab world. Well, it sure wouldn't be fun if it doesn't happen that way. (laughs) (laughs) It sure will be fun. (laughs) It's I, I believe I believe in humanity. I I believe that the dark side is is up, you know nervous and if they're nervous then that's a good sign. We just have to hang in here and you have to keep seeing the outcome. See a good outcome. Don't work, don't get don't get involved in actually, you know, engaged in in the story. You got to stand back from it and be engaged in the ending. Boy, this looks like crap. How are we going to get out of here? I don't know. I'm just going to see a really good ending. <laughs> You know, right. focus on a yeah. place where the golden rule dominates and that we come to a real evolution in understanding the connectedness, not just of humanity as a whole to Gaia and ourselves, but to all sorts of different versions of life that's not only here in the galaxy, but in the entire universe and the universe is beyond that. I mean, this, exactly. is a, this is a major, let's see, attitude change <laughs> that we're going through, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I love that, you know, it's just when things look bleakest. I mean, in the really good stories, like you take Lord of the Rings, right? The whole point is Frodo and Sam get to Mount Doom to destroy the ring. So it comes to the very end after all this incredible hardship, and there's Frodo at the brink of the edge of doom in the fire mountain and he's got the ring and Sam is just shouting, just let it go, right? And in the book, suddenly Frodo turns around to him and he says, I have come, but I do not choose now to do what I came to do. The ring is mine. Oh, and he gee. puts on the freaking ring. He puts on that's the, in the That's ring. in the book? That's in the book. Oh my God. He puts on the freaking ring, you know, and Sam screams, no, you know, but... It's like the worst possible thing has happened. Frodo is visible to the Dark Lord. The Nazgul are on their way. He and you know. So what happens? Well, Gollum, the obsessed, shriveled little being, you know, hits Sam on the head with a rock. Knows where Frodo is. You can see he's invisible now. He's wearing the ring, but he grabs him and he, you know, he bites his finger off. Takes the ring from off this finger that he just bit off of Frodo. Frodo falls to his knees, and. Gollum dances with joy. Precious, precious, I have my precious. And he steps too far and he topples and he falls into the lava of the fire of doom and the ring is destroyed. I mean, it's, you know, 
you, you have to be taken to the depths of the worst possibility. This is what the great stories do. The thing you feared most happens, and there's there's a, a, a magical divine breakthrough anyway. You know, everybody did their job, fulfilled their purpose. Frodo, he, you know, he was a hobbit. He wasn't going to be able to throw that ring in the fire, you know. <laughs> Uh, but God had other ideas about how it was all going to turn out. Well, God is saying that we're at the end of the show, so you're going to have to say adios. So we say, God bless us all. Radio 5G, which is a joint project of Cosmic Reality Radio and the Sacred Alliance for Global Evolution. Uh, thanks for being with us, folks. Mike Landry Dunn and Nancy Hopkins will be back next time. Meantime, be well, be safe. God bless us, everyone. See a we'll good win, See a good ending. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for listening. May it be. Oh, let it-